You're listening to Comedy Central. May 2nd, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. NSA here with a new book. Michael Hayden is joining us, everybody. But first, let's get into the news. French President Emmanuel Macron is still on his world tour. And during a press conference down in Australia, things got a little awkward. French President Emmanuel Macron raised a few eyebrows during a press conference in Australia by calling Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull's wife, quote, delicious. I wanted to thank you for your welcome. Thank you and your delicious wife for your warm welcome. Oh, back off, Pepe Le Pew. That's someone's wife. You know, it would have been cool if the Australian Prime Minister thought it was some sort of custom and just rolled with it. You know, if he was like, oh, thank you, President McCone. Uh, yeah, your wife is quite shaggable as well. Uh, I'll totally snack on her, yeah. Now, uh, apparently, this was caused by a little translation issue because apparently the French word for delicious also means delightful. Yeah, which is good, yeah. For a minute, though, I was worried. I was worried that when Macron came to the US, instead of him rubbing off on Trump, it was Trump that was rubbing off on him. <laughs> like, they held, they held hands, and then suddenly Macron was like, Madame et Monsieur, we're going to make France great again! <laughs> Who's gonna pay for it? Belgium, Belgium. <laughs> delicious. Oh, speaking of delicious, let's check in with Harold Bornstein, Trump's former doctor and aging bongo salesman. <laughs> Now, you may, not, you may not remember this, but the reason we all came to know Dr. Bornstein was because back in late 2015, he wrote Trump an official doctor's letter saying that Trump was so healthy that we'd be dumb not to have him as president. <laughs> well, today, we learned something about the letter that we suspected all along. This morning, the doctor who during the campaign proclaimed President Trump will be the healthiest individual ever elected to the presidency says that diagnosis came straight from Trump himself. Dr. Harold Bornstein, President Trump's longtime doctor in New York, signed and released this letter with that statement in December of 2015. But now CNN reports Dr. Bornstein told them those were Trump's words. Quote, he dictated that whole letter. I didn't write that letter. He wrote it himself. Yeah, of course Trump wrote it himself. Really, the healthiest individual ever elected to the presidency. This is the least surprise reveal ever. It's like if at the end of The Sixth Sense, they were like, and Bruce Willis was alive the whole time. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what we thought. <laughs> I'm just amazed by how everything in Trump's world turns out to be a lie. Like, even his doctor's note is a lie. <laughs> his doctor's note. In fact, like, I wouldn't be shocked if Dr. Bornstein is just Trump in disguise. <laughs> you take off the glasses, you know, you shave the beard, take all the hair on the sides, put it on top. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying. So, right now, President Trump is not on good terms with his doctor, but on the other hand, things have gone south with another one of his lawyers. 
Fox News has now confirmed that Ty Cobb is out as the president's in-house Russia counsel. Less than a month ago, the president tweeted this. The failing New York Times purposely wrote a false story stating that I am unhappy with my legal team on the Russia case. Wrong. I am very, all caps, very happy with my lawyers, John Dowd, Ty Cobb, Jay Sekulow. They are doing a great job. Yeah, they're doing such a great job that two of them are now gone. <laughs> You know, whenever Trump tweets that someone's job is safe, it's like that video from The Ring. Seven days later, you're gone. That's how it works. <laughs> so it's now official. Ty Cobb is out. And you know shit must be brewing if a guy who looks like Ty Cobb is bailing. <laughs> like, do you know, do you know what it takes to scare a guy who had cholera during the Spanish-American War? Do you know what it takes to scare that person? I'm just saying, things are looking serious. And now, uh, this is interesting, to replace the Monopoly man's nephew, uh, Trump, <laughs> Trump has hired a new lawyer, Emmett Flood, a man who's best known for defending President Clinton during his impeachment. Yeah, I always feel like uh, you can tell somebody did the thing when they want the lawyer for the guy who did the thing. <laughs> it's like, I didn't kill nobody, uh, but who was that OJ lawyer again? Uh... <laughs> but let's move on to education. You see, over the past three months, teachers around the country have been protesting for decent pay and better classroom conditions. With strikes and marches in West Virginia, Oklahoma, Kentucky, Colorado, and one of the biggest ones happening right now in Arizona. Arizona is facing a fifth day of teacher walkouts and school closures today. The strike is impacting nearly two-thirds of the state's public schools and nearly 800,000 students. High school teacher Courtney Thompson says she works four jobs just to make ends meet and struggles at school. We have cockroaches in our school. We have rats in our school. It is crowded. Uh, hell yeah, it's crowded. You're also teaching rats and cockroaches. <laughs> and don't you dare call them pests. Because with the help of a passionate drama teacher, those rats and roaches will put on an absolutely stunning production of Spring Awakening. <laughs> but America really needs good teachers. Because without good teachers, you get college dropouts who say things like this. Now, Kanye West is defending himself against really the indefensible. He said slavery was a choice. Here's the same. You hear about slavery for 400 years? For 400 years? That sounds like a choice. <laughs> just, just me? <laughs> no, Kanye, slavery is not a choice. Going blonde is a choice. <laughs> Both are terrible, but one is easier to undo. Although, actually, you know what? When I think about it, slavery was a choice for white people. Yeah, white people were like, Hey, should we keep doing stuff ourselves or make other people do it for us? Mm. Yeah, other people. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. <laughs> good choice. So uh, Kanye West popped up at TMZ's offices and decided to freestyle some history lessons. Uh, thankfully, TMZ staffer Van Lathan was there to call Kanye out in person. Producer Van Lathan taking West to task about the slavery comment. While you are making music and being an artist, the rest of us in society have to deal with these threats to our lives. Frankly, I'm disappointed, I'm appalled, and brother, I am unbelievably hurt by the fact that you have morphed into something, to me, that's not real. Wow, that was powerful. That was really, really powerful. And you know, there was one scared white person in that office who was like, hello, police. <laughs> 
There's two black people arguing in the office right now. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is a retired four-star general, former director of the CIA and NSA, and author whose latest book is called The Assault on Intelligence, American National Securities in an Age of Lies. Please welcome Michael Hayden. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's good to have you here. The last time I saw you, uh, we were debating the possibilities of Trump having a presidency and what that presidency could look like if uh, it carried on. I, I, I recall the conversation. It has now come to pass. <laughs> um, and your book, your book is speaking directly to the situation we're right. now, the assault on intelligence. You make your point throughout the book about how Trump's lies have wrecked havoc on the intelligence community. What does that mean? So, so let, let me kind of structure it as, as how I, I approach it in the book. It's kind of a three-layer problem, and, and it's really important to understand the layers, all right? Layer one is us, all right? It's our political culture, which has moved into what the Oxford Dictionary calls a, a post-truth world, right. in which we make decisions based upon emotion, preference, allegiance, tribe, grievance, not on facts, right. not on data. Donald Trump... We were here two years ago talking about this. Donald Trump recognized that. He saw it. He exploited it during the campaign. And I think he has worsened it with some of his behavior and language while he is president. He's right. riding that post-truth wave. And then, finally, to make this really complicated, we've got a foreign adversary kind of coming through the perimeter wire on us, recognizing what's going on here and exploiting it. Right. And it's all based, Trevor, on the concept of truth or post-truth. How, how is it that it benefits Trump and nobody <clears throat> else? I mean, shouldn't something uh, like living in a post-truth world also yeah. damage Donald Trump as the person in power? Well, um, it will over time because history has shown, and I, I actually, I hope people enjoy reading the book, but I really enjoyed writing and researching it. I got out, out of my circle and talked to a lot of folks right. that I would not normally have talked to, philosophers, historians, and so on. And what they point out, that the approach the president is taking, this kind of post-truthism, which we've seen elsewhere, it doesn't deliver. I mean, you've got to base decisions on reality, right. based on facts. So over time, I think we'll recognize we're, down, we're speeding down a cul-de-sac here. Right. But it's going to take time. Now, why do you say that it wrecks havoc on the intelligence community yeah. specifically? Because I understand democracy, I understand the American right. people being affected by this, but why does the intelligence community get affected? Surely they are, they're immune to this. No, um, not really. And it, let, let me try to describe it this way. The high friction points of the administration with the broader society have been with intelligence, uh -huh. law enforcement, the courts, journalism, Science, right. scholarship, what do they all have in common? They're all fact-based. They're all evidence-based enterprises. Right. And that's where we see the, the friction with, with a style of governance that, that is post-fact, not based on, on hard reality. Right. So we're, it's really interesting. I kind of counted them off on my fingers. Uh, last time we were here, all right, the intel digit was over here. Right, right, right. Because these folks over here had serious questions about how we acquired data. Right. You and I have had that conversation. Uh, that's not the argument today. These folks over here welcome 
the Intel guys into this circle now because we'll get back to arguing about how we acquired it later. Right. But right now they recognize us like them as data people. Uh-huh. And it's, it's the fact-based enterprises that feel under siege. Do you understand though why some people would argue that Donald Trump is well within his rights to uh, attack the, the intelligence communities because in some ways, the intelligence communities have been responsible for misinformation themselves. I mean, one of the classic examples was the flawed intelligence report that led America to the war in, in Iraq. So right. if somebody says, yeah, but Donald Trump is saying these fake things, some might argue, yeah, but the CIA and the NSA right. and the, all these organizations also did that, and that's why America's in Iraq now. It's a great question. And you and I kind of worked our way through that issue. And I, I mentioned the last time I was here, I was in the room. I voted for it. I believed it to be true. We were wrong. But, but the difference is we were trying to pursue an accurate picture of objective reality. Right. We, we got it wrong, all right? I mean, life's hard. And, and sometimes, even with your best effort, fact-based institutions fail to get the true picture. Right. That's not what we're arguing about today. What we're arguing about is decision-making that is indifferent to objective reality, that is based on these other things, preference, grievance, tribal loyalty. It's interesting that you say preference and tribal loyalty specifically because um, this week, Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, um, delivered a presentation where he spoke about uh, the proof that Iran had lied about their nuclear weapons program. Now, there seems to be conflicting schools of thought on this. Some say Iran hasn't lied. This was old information that Netanyahu tried to present as new. Others are saying, no, there, there, there was something new. Is there something new in discovering yeah. that Iran kept the, the, the information, the archives on how to make nuclear weapons? So, so I think, and beyond think, I know, this was baked in already to our nuclear negotiations. Uh, I walked into President Bush and Vice President Cheney late 07 and said, I know you're not going to welcome this message, but the Iranians appear about four years ago to have stopped building the bomb. Right. They're doing the other stuff, the missiles, the centrifuges, but the building the bomb... We think they stopped. And, and, Mr. President, this isn't absence of evidence. We've got evidence of absence. Right. We know, we know that, they've, that they've stopped. Now, number one, Iran never admitted that they were building a bomb up until 2003. Uh-huh. They denied it. They lied. We knew that. What you've got from the prime minister is a lot of the fine print with regard to where the Iranians were. But the fact that they were building a bomb and that they lied about it, already accepted, already known, and as I said, already baked in to our approach. So it's interesting that he came out and presented all of this information the way he did. You know, it was a big PowerPoint presentation. Iran lied, and he had all these CDs, and it was very, very uh, dramatic. I mean, he revealed everything, very theatrical as well. It almost felt like he wasn't playing to the intelligence community and other leaders. It seemed like it was an audience of one that he was playing to, someone who likes big pictures and easy words to understand. (laughs) Could it be that Netanyahu will now be the reason Donald Trump decides to definitively pull out of the Iran deal? And, you know, he has to make that decision again in 12 days. Right. This is not happening uh, by accident. So, so I do think there may have been some theatrics there, given the president some additional motivation, right. additional top cover, perhaps, if the president really does want to rip up the deal. But a lot of folks like me, including the people in my old jobs in this government, mm-hmm have pointed out that, no, no, we knew this. This is old data. So here's a case where the fact-based guys, intelligence community in this case, journalism, they're holding their ground. And they're saying, 
We like to have the fine print. That's really useful. But in terms of the broad plot, no, we knew this. Let's talk about one additional thing that you lay out in the book. As you said, the, the, the structuring the book into thirds, the third of Russia. Yeah. Russia and <clears throat> the bots and Facebook has become a story that has been all over the news. Many have labeled this as one of the biggest threats to America's democracy yeah. because they're, they're pushing forward the post-truth world. Some might say Russia is only doing to America what America has been doing to them. How do you respond to this as somebody who knows better than anybody right. what America did yeah. to influence or not Russia's elections? Other than an, as an element of American policy to support what you and I would call democracy, there, there are no comparisons between what we do and what the Russians have done to, to our election. Remember my, my three-layer cake here? Right. And the biggest problem is us. Um, that enables the Russians to mess with our heads. Uh -huh. I mean, they've actually made a run at the Norwegians, too. It didn't work because Norway isn't a fractured society. And so what the Russians are doing is using high technology, right. an approach to information dominance, which I, I have to tell you, Trevor, in, in terms of its elegance as military doctrine, is really quite good. And if you read the Russian manuals about this, it's quite revealing of some really serious thought. They call it contactless war, where we can use informational means right. to affect the target population of our adversary. But they're only able to do that because of our own weaknesses. Look, uh, cards face up. I mean, I'd be the last one to say that our government hasn't ever conducted a covert influence campaign. Right. All right. But there's an iron law of physics with regard to covert influence. All right. You never create fractures. The only way you can make covert influence work is to identify pre-existing fractures, and then worsen them and exploit them. That's what the Russians are doing. Wow. It's a fascinating book. Uh, you get into it in depth, and it is terrifying and also enlightening at the same time. Right. Thank you so much for Thank being you. on the show. Thank Great you. having you back. The Assault on Intelligence is available now. Michael Hayden, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.